Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're picking up in a series on historic church liturgy called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. So why do churches do certain things like sing worship music, listen to sermons, and observe sacraments such as bread and wine? Well, there's great purpose in each of these elements, and frequency or how often things like communion are observed are important. The Reformers believed that the Lord's Supper should be observed weekly to feed our souls. Let's learn more now. Here's John Fonville with the Gift of Communion, Part 4. So here's the question. With this understanding of the nature of communion in view, here's our question. Who would not want to truly commune with Jesus as often as possible? Right? Who would not want their faith and union and communion with Christ strengthened as often as possible? Who would not want to receive this divine gift at least once per week, right? You see, it should come as no surprise to us that those who view the Lord's Supper as simply a memorial, uh, a mental recollection of something that happened 2,000 years ago, where they come to renew their pledge of commitment to God, to renew their promise to be more obedient, it's no surprise that they don't want to observe the Lord frequently because who could sustain such a grueling effort week after week, right? It would just wear you out. It would be like being on a treadmill at the top speed, at the highest incline the rest of your life. Eventually, you just can't sustain that. One of my professors says this. He says, I'm convinced by my experience as a pastor, congregations are uncomfortable uh, with weekly communion. It's because they do not actually view the supper as communion with the risen Christ. He says they view it as a funeral. And subconsciously, they know that they cannot tolerate the emotional cost of attending a funeral every week. That's how I grew up. This is a morbid time of introspection where you just better dive deep into your heart and just fix yourself before you come to receive and repledge your commitment to God to be obedient. Who can sustain that? Who would want to do that every week? I wouldn't. And so my professor continues. He says, should a Reformed person feel uncomfortable with anything less than weekly communion? The short answer is yes. If we view the supper as a divinely instituted pledge whereby God promises to us to renew his promises, and if we view it as a sacred divinely instituted meal whereby the mystical operation of the Spirit by faith we commune with and feed on the actual body and blood of Christ, then one would think this is something to be desired. He's exactly right. Second, not only is Holy Communion communion with the risen Christ, Holy Communion is a proclamation of the death of Christ for our sins. Let me ask you a question before we even look at this. How many of you need to hear and want to hear that your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake dying on the cross? How many of us need to hear that all the time? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says that the Lord's Supper is a visible 
proclamation of the gospel by which Christ died for our sins on the cross. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians, Paul has a lot to say about the preaching of the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says the heart of his preaching was Christ crucified. Listen to what he said to the Corinthians. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the heart of his preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, where we get the name of our church from, Paul says that the death of Christ for our sins is one of the paramount aspects of the gospel. Listen to what he writes. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. That word is paramount. Of first importance. What is paramount? I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And so the paramount truth of the gospel, listen, is that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And we need to hear that all the time. Because we don't believe that. We believe that we have to continue to carry our guilt and our sin with us. And Jesus nailed it to the cross. This is the heart of the gospel, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And so if we take all these passages in 1 Corinthians together, we see that every observance of the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the heart of the gospel. It is a proclamation, Christ died for your sins on the cross. Take heart and give thanks. Your sin is covered. Holy communion proclaims to us the paramount truth of the gospel that Christ died for our sins. Now we're told we are to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. How many of you have heard that? How many of you attempt to do that? You should. It is true. We should learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. But as I've reminded you and remind you again, we do not do that very well. Right? And so this is why we need both the service of the word, which proclaims Christ died for our sins, and the service of the sacrament, which confirms more fully that Christ died for our sins. Because the primary intent and purpose of both parts of the service, the service of the word and the service of the sacrament, its primary intent and purpose is to proclaim to you week after week the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins. In the service of the word, the heart of the preached word is Jesus who died for our sins. In the service of the sacrament, the heart of the visible word is this, Jesus, who died for our sins. So with the understanding of the sacrament in view, here's the question. Do we as believers not need to hear the paramount truth of the gospel proclaimed to us as often as possible? 
Why would any Christian who claims to be gospel-centered not want the heart of the gospel proclaimed to him or her each week as much as possible? Why would any church which claims to be gospel-centered and to make the gospel paramount in all things, right, with everything, not want the heart of the gospel more fully declared and guaranteed to the consciences of the believers every week? I think the answer is pretty clear. Weekly communion maximizes rather than minimizes the proclamation of the heart of the gospel. And if we are gospel-centered, right, and we say we are, gospel-driven, gospel-focused, gospel-saturated, gospel-committed, gospel-believing, whatever adjectives and verbs you want to throw in there, If we're all about the gospel, then we want to maximize our exposure to good news, not minimize it, correct? Third, holy communion, what is its purpose? Not just to proclaim Christ, but its other purpose, holy communion unifies the body of Christ. As we learned last week, Holy Communion reminds us that we're not only in communion with Christ, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, but we're also in communion with one another, 1 Corinthians 10, 17. In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. That's why we have Catherine bake one big, awesome, great-smelling, wonderful-tasting, homemade loaf of bread, right? That's why we do it. Because the one bread visibly displayed in the sacrament during worship signifies and seals to the church its unity, And though the one bread is made up of many, many grains that Catherine grinds up in her grinder, and we can hear it, you know, it really gets going. Though the bread is made up of many grains, the grains are so mixed together that one grain cannot be distinguished from another grain. It's one loaf. And so it is with the body of Christ, as Paul says. There is, because there is one bread, we who are many grains, right, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so communion with Christ can never be separated from communion of the saints. Holy communion is meant to be a corporate rite where we commune together as the body of Christ. And this is one of the unique marks of the Christian community to an unbelieving world. This is why I reminded you from last week, Calvin, following Augustine, describes Holy Eucharist, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, all three terms used, describes it as the bond of love. The Holy Spirit working through this sacrament strengthens mutual love and unity among believers and evokes a spirit of gratitude in the church. And that gratitude is winsome to a world looking as we adorn the gospel with thanksgiving, loving each other in the body of Christ. Now, pastorally speaking, 
Um, regular observance of Holy Communion then would strengthen marriages. You cannot partake of Holy Communion if you're not right with your brother or sister in Christ. So what do you have to do before you come to the table? Look at your wife and say, forgive me. (laughs) And confess your brutal nature to her. (laughs) Or vice versa. Or to your children, forgive me. Repenting in front of your children, which I've done. It's a very humbling thing to do, but you just do. You're not perfect. You really blow it in the home. So pastorally, regular observance of Holy Communion strengthens marriages, strengthens family relationships. It promotes a community of gratitude and profound thankfulness. The Lord's Supper is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why the Lord's Supper began to be called Holy Eucharist. Jesus, it said, broke bread and he did what? He broke the bread and gave Thanks, Eucharisteo, the Greek verb, gave thanks, to give thanks, Holy Eucharist. This is why early on in the history of the church, they began to call it Holy Eucharist. We are gathering to give great thanks for what God in Christ by the Spirit has done for us for our salvation. And so by eating and drinking together, we're confessing that individually we are members of one another. We are one body in Christ. And it is in holy communion that the church finds its unique identity and community. So many times I hear people talking about, well, I want community, I want community, I've got to have community. And they made it an idol because they have missed the part where they find it, which is at the Lord's Supper. That is where communion with Christ and one another, that is the height of the church's communion community, one common union. So you see, the gospel produces a unified culture within a disunified culture. And who would not look at our culture in modern America and say, we are quite disunified, right? And the world looks at the church gathered around the visible gospel, and it sees where a rich man and a poor man can participate together. There's no disunity. There's no jealousy. There's no competition. It is where the young and the old, the male and the female, all ethnicities, all nationalities, all social and economic standings can participate together in one common communion, one corporate fellowship, because they're all united together in one Christ. By the bond of the Holy Spirit. And that is a powerful witness to the world. And that is why Jesus put this at the heart of the Great Commission, at the heart of the church's mission. Weekly observance of the Lord's Supper is at the heart of being missional as a church. So with this understanding of the sacrament in view, we must ask, why would any Christian or church not want the unity and bond of love in the church strengthened? Why would anyone not want such a sign of Christian unity to be a part of the weekly worship of the church? Why would you not want your marriage strengthened weekly? Why would you not want your family relationships with your children strengthened weekly? Why? Why would you not want to grow in thanksgiving to God and in gratitude weekly? 
This is what it was instituted for. This is what it produces. Fourth, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Holy communion assures our faith. Holy communion assures our faith. You know what the truth is about our faith, the truth about my faith? It is exceedingly weak. It's weak. It's very weak. And so Holy Communion is an external sign and seal by which the Lord guarantees by the Spirit on our consciences His promises of goodwill toward us. Goodwill, good news to you. He places that sign on your conscience and says, look at my signs and seals. Look at my visible gospel. This is my goodwill toward you. It is to sustain the weakness of your faith, which I know is flopping and floundering as soon as you leave church, right? Monday through Saturday. And so this is why some have referred to the Lord's Supper as the sacrament of nourishment. I love that. The sacrament of nourishment. Christ's command to repeatedly observe communion reminds us that there can never be a point in our salvation at which God simply stops and leaves salvation to us. It is a visible proclamation of the gospel, which is telling you, let the gospel remain central to you forever. God, at every stage of your salvation, must nourish you to the end. And so to strengthen our weak faith, the Lord in his kindness and in his wisdom has instituted holy communion for this purpose to more fully declare and seal, that is, guarantee to you the promise of the gospel. And what is the promise of the gospel? It is that by grace alone, God, your heavenly Father, grants to you the forgiveness of your sins and everlasting life for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. That's the promise of the gospel. And so, as certainly as the catechism says, the Heidelberg Catechism, as certainly as I can see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and as certainly as I can see the cup communicated to me, that is as certain that I know I'm being assured that my sins, for Christ's sake, are forgiven. I can see it. I can taste it, I can eat it, I can drink it, I can enjoy it, I can ingest it, I can receive nourishment. And that is the same certification that your sins, for Christ's sake, are forgiven you. And so in the service of the word, the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel that our whole salvation stands on Christ crucified for our sins. And in the service of the sacrament, the Holy Spirit assures us that our salvation does stand secure on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our sins. We need this teaching and we need this assurance so do you know one of the reasons then why many believers do not have assurance? There, there are lots of reasons, but here's a big one. 
One of the reasons is because they have been taught that the Lord's Supper is what they are to do for God. They've been taught that the Lord's Supper is just primarily their pledge of obedience and rededication and commitment to God. But you need to understand that the sacraments, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, they are not something that we do for God. The sacraments are signs and seals of what God in Christ by the Spirit has done for us and continues to do for us forever. They are visible gospels. And so those who understand that the Lord's Supper is the gift giver's gift to his gathered guests, that they are sure witnesses and effectual signs of God's grace and of the Father's good will toward you forever and ever for Christ's sake, those who understand that will want to observe it as often as possible. You see, our assurance is not based on what we do. Our assurance is not based on our qualifications. Who's qualified, right? Our assurance is not based on our sincerity and our fervency of our promises and our pledges and our commitments and whatever it is. None of the assurance is based on that. Our assurance is based on the promises of the gospel. And so with this understanding of the purpose of the sacrament in view, we have to ask again, why would any believer not want a fuller assurance of their faith? Why would any believer not want a greater guarantee of his or her salvation? Why would any believer want to forfeit and pass up greater confirmation of your heavenly Father's goodwill toward you now and forever? Why would you not want to be assured that all your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake? Perhaps you have come to church and the night before or the morning of, you had a knockdown drag out with your wife. Right? It happens. Don't act holy. I know it happens. <laughs> Why would you not want to come to church and with your wife? And have it proclaimed to you visibly and signed and sealed to you that it all is okay. And that, that that means of grace causes you and your wife to confess your sins and to come together as a couple, receiving the confirmation and assurance of the gospel and strengthening your marriage. Do you see the pastoral implications of what Jesus has instituted for the making of disciples in the Great Commission? Is this clear this morning? hope this is crystal clear to you. And so as we reflect on the reasons giving for observing weekly communion, I think it is clear that it is appropriate to observe it every week. Weekly observance, we saw, was the practice of the apostolic church and the practice of the early church. Weekly observance is based on the nature and purpose of Holy Communion. It is communing with Jesus, the real Jesus, the living, alive Jesus. It is receiving the assurance of faith. It is the bond of unity and love in the church. Why would you not want to receive these benefits? 
And so both the word and sacrament lie at the heart of Christian worship. And as we see in the Great Commission, word and sacrament belong together. They are inseparably joined together. The sacrament cannot stand apart from the word. Whatever benefits we receive in the Lord's Supper requires the word of God to be with it. That is why Jesus instituted both teaching and sacrament in the Great Commission. But the word of God finds its fuller and more complete confirmation, assurance in the sacrament. What you have heard proclaimed to you in the gospel is more fully declared and guaranteed, sealed to you by the Holy Spirit in the sacraments. And so both are necessary for a church to be truly missional. Both are necessary for a church to be truly gospel-centered, gospel-driven, for a church to make the gospel paramount in all things, for a church to be faithful to the Great Commission. Both are necessary. It's not either or. It's both and. And so the infrequent observance of the Lord's Supper is a defect in our worship. And so we neglect this divine gift to our own spiritual impoverishment. So the sacraments are the seal of the king on his promises to you. It is a gift of God from the gift giver to his gathered guests. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Communion, Part 4. More from the series, The Gift Giver and His Gather Guests, coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.